So again, as uh, Pastor Corey is out, I'll be filling in for him today, and uh, we are going to be in the book of Zechariah, chapter 4. So if anybody needs a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, David, if you would, can you hand out some Bibles? All righty, thank you. All right, so Zechariah chapter 4, it's one of the last little minor prophet books in the Old Testament. And uh, this book and this chapter and verse 6 in particular are uh, very, very special to me. Um, They were uh, used by God at a very pivotal time of my life and as I was first getting into ministry. I was uh, an intern over at North Country Chapel in Post Falls, and uh, and I was I was just more or less helping out as uh, a youth group assistant, and then just doing whatever chores that the church needed to be done. Uh, but uh, our our youth pastor was he was the one that handled all the teaching duties and everything, and I had told him. Uh, you know, I've, I've really been wanting to do a study through Zechariah, and so I started just in my, my personal studies, started doing one on Zechariah because I had heard it quoted in so many different teachings, and uh, there's so many just quote-worthy verses in here, but I had never heard it taught all the way through. I had never actually gone through it myself. And so I told him, yeah, I'm looking at teaching Zechariah. And and he goes, oh, that's awesome. So I'm almost done with my series. Why don't you teach that next for the youth group? And I'm like, oh, did I say Zechariah? I meant Philemon. Uh, That's one chapter. (laughs) I'm like, that's what I meant. And Zechariah is actually quite a challenging book of prophecy. Uh, You know, you can read four different commentaries on uh, what some of the visions mean and get four different answers on what they believe it is. Uh, But God ended up using this so greatly in my life. As I got to chapter four and taught through it, at the time I was working regularly 65 hours a week at the church, sometimes upwards of 90 hours a week. And uh, it was just, I was really doing it in my own strength. And I got to this chapter and I taught through it. And, uh, and God really started, you know, tapping on my heart with uh, verse 6. And then I went to a youth workers conference. It was my first conference I ever went to. And, uh, and the root verse of the whole thing was, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so Chuck Smith was the first teacher, and he taught on Zechariah 4.6. The very next teacher, Joey Baran, he goes, well, guess what I chose for my text? Zechariah 4.6. So here we go. And so I just really, really felt God tapping on my heart saying, if you want to accomplish anything in the Lord, in the ministry, this is what it's all about. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to cover this this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and pray before we do. Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit here. Lord, be our teacher. Be our minister. Speak to our hearts. Lord, I just pray that you would illuminate these words for each one of us. God, that you would 
speak to us, Lord, that we could clearly hear you and know who you are and know your work for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the time period that this was written, we'll just give you a little bit of background on, on what's going on. It was about 519 BC, and Israel had partially returned from captivity of Babylon. Uh, they were first taken by Babylon, and then Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Uh, and for 70 years, they were in captivity. Their, their land had been taken over. Uh, God warned them for years and years and years and years through the prophets. And, and even before they even entered into the land, God gave them encouragements, but also warnings to go along with it, that you guys need to follow after me. You guys need to keep my commandments. If you do that, I will be with you. I will protect you. Nobody will be able to stand against you. You know, you read the first chapter of Joshua, and, and God's word just remains faithful. And he's saying, guys, if you do this my way, nothing will be able to stand against you. Well, what happened? They turned, and they turned, and they turned, and God sent them prophet after prophet warning them. And they killed the prophets uh, because they just wanted to silence the voice. They didn't, they didn't want to hear anything that contradicted their choices in their way of life. Uh, so they, they silenced whatever voice contradicted that. And, uh, and so they were, they were in captivity for 70 years. But the, at the end of the appointed time, they were allowed to return to Israel. And uh, God did so in a victorious fashion once again. You know, just like as they, they came out of Egypt and God had provided the way for them and they had just riches and they lacked nothing, that's really what happened is they returned out of Babylon. Uh, God made sure that they had the provision that they needed. And uh, so I'm going to read really quick in uh, the beginning of the book of Ezra, which goes along at the same time frame. This just kind of explains what was going on. This was at 539 BC. And in Ezra 1, 1 through 8, it says, In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah, the Lord roused the spirit of King Cyrus to issue a proclamation throughout his entire kingdom and put it in writing. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, The Lord, the God of all the heavens, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. Now keep in mind, this is not a, uh, a king who worshipped the Lord and who believed in God before this time. And you can see God moved on his heart to do this. Any of his people among you, may his God be with him, and may he go to Jerusalem and Judah and build the house of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. Let every survivor, wherever he resides, be assisted by the men of that region with silver, gold, goods, livestock, along with a freewill offering for the house of God in Jerusalem. So the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, along with the priests and Levites, everyone whose spirit God had roused, prepared to go up and rebuild the Lord's house in Jerusalem. All of their neighbors supported them with silver articles, gold, goods, livestock, and valuables, in addition to all that was given as a freewill offering. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and had placed in the house of his gods. King Cyrus of Persia had brought them out under the supervision of Mithridath, the treasurer, 
who had counted them out to Sheshbazar. Aren't you glad you have American names? The, the Prince of Judah. And so there we go. Uh, you know, we, we just see the faithfulness of God. God, you know, had, had warned them and told them how long it was going to be. And he was faithful to his word. We saw that in the book of Daniel. Daniel was counting the days. He knew when the time was coming and he prayed to the Lord and said, God, be faithful to your word, not because of our goodness, but because of your goodness. And God was faithful to that and took them out right when he said he was going to take them out. And so the, the key players in this time period were Zerubbabel, who was the political leader of Israel, their, their prime minister, if you will, uh, we had Joshua, the high priest, who was the spiritual leader. And then you also had uh, Haggai and Zechariah, who were the prophets, who would, uh, you know, just speak for God. That As God gave them messages, they would speak it to the people. And people from uh, the neighboring areas, they came to resist the work that was going on to rebuild the temple. You know... God called them to return, and before they did anything, he was like, you guys need to rebuild the temple. As you see, that he stirred the heart of King Cyrus to rebuild the temple. It had been destroyed as, as Babylon came in, and uh, just the beautiful temple that, that Solomon had made all those years ago. Uh, the temple was destroyed. It laid in ruins. And so he called them to first take care of that. Uh, but as with any great work of the Lord, there was opposition, you know, I've learned so many times that engaged in a battle, you're going to get it shot at more when you're advancing on the enemy. And that's what's going on. As they're moving forward for the plans of God, what they're doing is moving forward against the plans of the enemy. And there's going to be re return fire every single time. And so these people that came to resist, first what they did is they said it, they, that they wanted to join the work and they wanted to help, claiming that they too worship the God of Israel. But Joshua and Zerubbabel, they knew better. They refused. Uh, there was uh, a pastor in New Jersey, a guy named Lloyd Pulley, and uh, they had had uh, many, many struggles trying to get a building. Uh, they, uh, they had kind of outgrown their building, and, uh, and they were just looking and looking and looking, and every time they thought they had something, it would just fall out from under them. And there was a lady who came to their church who her husband came to talk with Pastor Lloyd one day, and uh, he had told us, he goes, you know, the mob, it is alive and well in New Jersey today. <laughs> like, it is, the mob has not gone anywhere. It's just, you know, it shows in the movies that it was all back in the you know, the 20s and the 40s and all that. He goes, the mob is alive and well. And so this guy comes up to him and he goes, hey, pastor, I hear you're having a hard time getting a building. So tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to City Hall. I'm going to bust some horns. We'll have you a building in no time. <laughs> and Lloyd said, you know, I just got this vision of me handing off a paper bag full of cash to somebody in an alley, <laughs> and he goes, you know what, thank you, but we believe the Lord's going to provide for us, and the guy was, oh, whatever, you know, <laughs> just a New Jersey guy, uh, but you know, it was, it was really, you know, the heart was, you know, if, if this is going to be a work of God, it's going to be a work of God, 
we don't need to go to the world for help. And, uh, you know, in, in that case, it could be, you know, that this guy's sitting back and says, now I have a, a demand on where the direction of the church is going to go because of the money that I've given. And it's like, no, 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 no. God is the one who gives the direction of the church. We don't need any outside influence in that. Um, but then uh, these guys, when, uh, when Joshua and Zerubbabel refused their help, they then uh, wrote a letter to the new king who had replaced Cyrus, King Ahasuerus. And uh, they said that the Jews were planning to rebel and take taxes away from their kingdom. And so we have to remember that the Bible promises opposition when we're following in the way that he has for us. In 2 Timothy 2.3 and 3.12, it says, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So guys, if we know that ahead of time, if we're expecting those things to happen, it's going to make it a lot easier to deal with when the persecution actually happens. I'm so thankful that God wrote this in his word to let us know, hey, it's, life is not going to be super easy when you become a Christian and follow me. It's one thing I've realized in the Christian life is that it's very simple. God has given us a very simple game plan for life, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. But he has encouraged us and he will give us strength as we follow him. And so in Zechariah here, uh, chapter four, verse one, it says, then the angel who was speaking with me returned and roused me as one who is wakened out of his sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I replied, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top. The lampstand also has seven lamps at the top with seven spouts for each of the lamps. There are also two olive trees beside it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Then I asked the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? Don't you know what they are? Replied the angel who was speaking with me. I said, no, my Lord. And so it says that he, he, he awakened him as one who was roused out of his sleep. And through the book of Zechariah so far, uh, the Lord has been giving him different visions. And in each of these visions, he's being uh, essentially guided through them by an angel. And an angel appears to him and then guides him kind of through these visions as he's seeing them. And now after the first four visions that he gets, he falls asleep. And, you know, ministry can be exhausting, and especially when you have received visions from God and being overwhelmed in your spirit, it can be even more so. It's funny because, you know, really on Sundays, there's not much physical work that I do, but most of the time after a Sunday service, I'm more tired than I would have been if I spent all those hours out cutting wood or something like that. You know, you can just be absolutely drained and exhausted from it. So we kind of see that with Zechariah here. He, he's just out. He falls asleep. And, uh, and so this angel wakes him up, and uh, he sees this, this vision now. And the angel says, you know, don't you know what these are? Zechariah is looking, and he sees this vision of these lampstands, these olive trees, these bowls, and all that, and he's just... Okay, 
I recognize these things, that's the menorah, and, but why am I seeing this? What is the significance? And the angel looks at him, he's like, don't you know? And it's funny how those in tuned with the things of the spirit, there's things that are veiled to either those who are in the world or maybe those who God hasn't opened their eyes or maybe they don't have their eyes on the things of the Lord. But those who are in tune with the Spirit can clearly see what's going on. And you know, we've got a lot of stuff going on in our world right now. There is a lot going on. But you know, to those who have read and understood the book of Revelation and Matthew 24 and all these different sections of the Bible who, that have explained the end times to us, we're going, oh yeah, clearly, I see what's going on. It's no secret, it's no mystery, because God has foretold these things from thousands of years ago, and we see all of them falling into place. I mean, really, for the most part, starting when Israel got their land back in the 40s. And that in and of itself is a miracle and should cause anybody to, if they had any doubts about the truth of the word of God, to re-examine because the book of Revelation said Israel had to be a people, and for 2,000 years almost, they were not a people. They didn't have their own land, and now they do. And all the things have been falling into place. And so for those who are in tune to the things of the Lord, it's easy to see what's going on. And uh, Zechariah, at first, he was just like, I don't get it. And the angel who had been spending time in the presence of God, he just knew right away. And so first he sees a lampstand of solid gold. This was a vision of something that was going to be in the temple when Zerubbabel completed. This lampstand was a representation of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is perpetually working in this world and bringing the light of Christ. One of the duties of the priests in the temple, it was to continually fill the oil in the lampstands, in the menorahs. And uh, we see the reason that God had them do this. It was to represent the spirit who continually works. In John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father is still working and I am working also. Really, the, the heart behind that is, my God is continually working. The Father, until this point, has been working, and I have been working. From the beginning of creation, God has been working in the hearts, in the minds, and in the lives of men and women. And uh, this is, again, to represent the continual working of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us, he said, you are the light of the world. How are we light? We don't create our own light in and of ourselves. Within the hearts and the minds of us, apart from God, there's darkness. And yet, when Jesus comes into our lives, he is the light of the world in us. So how does that flame get illuminated? Through the oil of the Holy Spirit. That's how he works in our lives. But here in Zechariah, he, he sees something that wasn't to be in the completed temple. The two olive trees to the right and the left of the lampstand, what they were doing was continually dripping oil into the lampstands and feeding them. So you didn't need a priest to operate it. 
It was self-sufficient, that God didn't need anybody to fulfill that work for him in this vision. And God doesn't need the help of men to maintain the ministry of his Holy Spirit, that he just continually works. And then from there in verse six, it says, so he answered me. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. So when he says not by might nor by strength, this is encompassing all that our human powers of self-will can accomplish, whether by our physical strength or intellect, if we're trying to accomplish the work of the Lord, we are always going to fall short. When we're trying to do it on our own and in our own strength, it is never going to be sufficient. Zerubbabel was faced with this near impossible task of completing the temple of the Lord with all the opposition around him. There were just enemies all around. Um, and uh, at this point, when God gave the vision for Zechariah, um, the work of the temple had completely stopped. The foundation had been laid, but then the work came to a halt. And it says in Ezra 4, 23 and 24, it says, as soon as the text of King Artaxerxes' letter was read to Rehum, Shimshai the scribe and their colleagues, they immediately went to the Jews in Jerusalem and forcibly stopped them. Now the construction of God's house in Jerusalem had stopped and remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. And so what happened there is, remember, they wrote a letter saying the Jews are going to rebel and, and they're going to turn against you and, and, uh, and you're not going to have any power over their land anymore. And, uh, and so they, they came in and so now it's a, a, a new king and, uh, and he goes, whoa, we got to stop these guys then. And so you can imagine the frustration and the dismay that came through Zerubbabel. What started out as this glorious leading of the Lord has now been stopped dead in its tracks. There's nothing happening. And even the people just gave up and they abandoned the work of the Lord's house. And then they just turned to, to their own homes. And the prophet Haggai challenged the people and asked, he said, is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You know, the, the Israelites are like, well, what are we going to do with our time? Well, you know, let's make our own homes into palaces. And, and God's command was, you build the house of the Lord first. And so the people, they were living in luxury while the temple was abandoned in ruins. The people had abandoned the work, as had the leaders. And I'm guessing the thought probably crept in that if he could just say the right things to the people, write the perfect letter to the king, or even just gather together a mighty army to fight against the people who would stop them, that they could finally get this done. I'm sure there were thoughts all over the place, like, what can I do? What can I figure out that's going to make this happen? But none of that was going to work. God said, not by might, nor by power. This wasn't going to happen through Zerubbabel until he gave full and complete authority to God. 
It says, by my spirit. God makes it very, very clear that he's not going to accomplish anything by his strength or his ingenuity. In fact, as you look back at the history of Israel, they had never gotten anywhere by their own strength and ingenuity. You know, when they escaped Egypt, it was not because they overpowered Pharaoh. It was because God overpowered Pharaoh. And as they were in the wilderness and they had won battles, it wasn't because they had this mighty army. They had a group of slaves. They did not have a mighty army. And when they entered into the land, they were so often outgunned, outmanned, out everything. And yet God provided the victory for them. And it was time after time after time that it was God being the one who gave the victory. I remember the first time I was reading through the book of Judges. I was just a, a new believer. And uh, if, if you want uh, just a really quick synopsis of the book of Judges, it's sin, repent, repeat. And that's really what it is. I mean, they were like living lives of sin and then, you know, God would send judgment on them. And, uh, or like more rightly said is that God would remove his hand of protection from them. As they're sinning, he goes, fine, you don't want me? Bye-bye. He'd just step back. And all of a sudden, now all these oppressors come in because in, in the beginning, they weren't strong enough to stand on their own. And they're like, oh, God, help us. And God's like, all right, boom. And then they, they conquer. And then you just repeat the whole thing over and over again. But I remember as I was reading through this, I was like, man, God, what a bunch of knuckleheads. Look at these guys. It's like time after time after time. And I just really clearly, this was one of the first times I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he tapped on my shoulder and said, Eric, that's you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. But you know, they had never gotten anywhere by their own strength. It was always by the work of the Lord in their lives. King Cyrus didn't send them back to rebuild the temple because they were just such outstanding people. It's like, man, I just got to send them back because look at them. They're incredible. No, he didn't do that. God had moved his heart. And Jesus told us in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. God wants to do a work in us that's so far beyond the simple human desires that we can't even imagine what it is. Ephesians 3.20 puts it this way. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. And God right now is searching the earth for people that he can use he wants to put an unquenchable desire within your heart. And then he wants to give you the opportunity to be able to fulfill that desire that he has placed there. And that's going throughout the whole earth right now. He's doing that in, in Kenya, in Sudan, as we heard yesterday, or last week. And, and he's doing that right here, right now. He is searching the earth for people that he can show himself strong through. In verse 7, it says, uh, 
Who, what are you, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring out the capstone, accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. For who despises the day of small things? These seven eyes of the Lord, which scan throughout the whole earth, will rejoice when they see the ceremonial stone in Zerubbabel's hands. And says, who are you, O great mountain? The work in man's eyes was an unclimbable mountain. There was just no way to get over all the challenges and obstacles that were in front of them. There was too much to do. There were too few resources. There were too many enemies. Even the people of their own team didn't care. And so you just look at all those things and it was just like, there's, there's no way. It's not going to happen. You know, might as well just give up. And that's what so many people did. Zerubbabel even, he wasn't looking at the amazing God that he served. He had his eyes on the circumstances. You know, we all know the story of Peter. When he had his eyes on the wind and the waves, he started to sink. When his eyes were on Jesus, he was walking on the water. He was doing the impossible because he had his eyes on Jesus. When his eyes were on the circumstances, every single time, we're going to be without hope and without strength. We're going to be faced with problems all the time that just seem to us to be Mount Everest. But so often God puts these mountains in front of us so that we are going to understand once again, like the Israelites who need to be taught the same lesson over and over and over again, that we need to call upon him because he's just waiting to level that mountain before us so that we can see, oh yeah, it was God. You know, most of the problems that we deal with in life come down to three main things, health, finances, and human relationships. Those are usually the, the biggest problems that we'll face. And then you think of a God who spoke the earth and the heavens and everything in them into existence, spoke them into existence with a word, and then you look at our little problems you know, it's, it's like the, the woman who asked her pastor, you know, do you believe God needs us to pray about the little things? And his response was, ma'am, can you tell me one thing that's big to God? So in his eyes, they're all little things. And, and he's just waiting for us to rely on him once again. And then it says that he himself will bring out the capstone, which is, you know, the, the final stone that, that goes on with shouts of grace, grace to it. There's not going to be any pride in this victory. When it's completed, Zerubbabel is not going to stand and say, look at what an awesome leader I am. Aren't you glad that you guys trusted in me? Look how great I am. No, he, he at this point is at the point where he's ready to give up himself. And he realizes this is all God's work. It's all about grace. He's going to look at the end work and realize that the, it was completely God who did that. And then it says, let me find my place here. Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will complete it. 
God is clearly proclaiming that Zerubbabel will lead the building of the temple and that he will finish it. It will be clear to everyone around that this is a work of the Lord. And I, Pastor Corey and Luann and Annie and Gina and myself were at a, uh, a pastor's conference this uh, last week. And uh, one, one of the things that was said at the, uh, the conference that just really struck me is, do you think God took you this far just to drop you on your head now? It's like, no. You know, in the Old Testament, when they raised up that stone of Ebenezer, really what that meant is to this point, the Lord has helped us. And that's a good reminder. To this point, the Lord has helped us. That's to show a pattern of God's work in our life that if he's brought us this far, it's not that he's brought us this far just to trip us up and push us down now. That's not his heart. That's not what he wants to do. Philippians 1.6 tells us, he who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, even though Zerubbabel had to trust God to finish the work, he still had to work. God gave the supply, but he had to accept it. I've told youth group students for years and years and years, you know, the Holy Spirit is the only one who can do the work in our lives. But guess what? The Holy Spirit is not going to wake up early in the morning and read your Bible for you. You have to work with him to allow him to fill you. It's an active, passive thing that goes on there. You have to be active in seeking the help of the Holy Spirit, and then you just sit back as he fills you. And, uh, and so that's, that's what's going on here with him. And, and it says then after that, for who has despised or for who despises the day of small things? It's, it's almost a rhetorical question. Who, who despises the day of small things? Well, if we're telling the truth, we all do. You know, when we're starting something and, and it just seems like we're not getting anywhere, you know, with myself and playing guitar, it's like, as long as I've been playing, I should be a master at guitar. But what would happen is I would start and I'd hit a plateau. I just wouldn't break over that plateau and I would, uh, okay, I'm just going to put it in the corner again. And it'd be six months before I touched it again because I despised the days of small things. I wasn't willing to push through and continue to work even when I wasn't getting any better. And, and we all do this. And God is doing a work in the small days, which if it's rushed, it's going to affect all the days after that. It's kind of like if you put a building on top of concrete that is not yet cured, if you're just impatient and you're just like, hey, I got to get this done, and you just put a building up on it, well, guess what? Your foundation's going to crumble later. Allow the work of the Lord to continue in your life. Have patience that he's going to complete this because he promised that he has. And it says, for these seven rejoice, the seven eyes of the Lord rejoice when they see the ceremonial stone in Zerubbabel's hand. Notice that it says that in the present tense, that they rejoice seeing the stone in Zerubbabel's hand. God always sees the work as completed. 
He knows the end from the beginning. He already knows what's going to happen at the end of our lives. And, and he's got it all planned out, and he rejoices. That's why it says that we are seated presently in the heavenlies. That, that, you know, we can just see ourselves as just such a mess, and we're just so full of problems, and we just see ourselves as this unfinished work when God looks at us and sees, sees everything at completion. And that's what's going on here. Is, it says that these seven rejoice because they see the work as if it's already done. We're going to read the last couple of verses here. In 11, it says, I asked him, what are these two olive trees on the right and on the left of the lampstand? And I questioned him further and said, what are the two streams of the olive trees, which the golden oil is pouring through the golden censers? Then he inquired of me once again, don't you know what these are? No, my Lord, I replied. These are the two anointed ones, he said, who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So he says, again, we've got these olive trees that are continually dripping oil into these pipes, and these pipes are all leading uh, to, to the lampstands, which are continually burning with, with no effort of man. Um, and, and he's looking at that going, what is this? And it says, these are the two anointed ones. Well, who are these guys? It's widely debated. Again, you know, you look at four different commentaries of this verse, you're probably going to get four different answers. Uh, many believe that it's talking about Joshua and Zerubbabel, that they were anointed for the work of the Lord in the land of Israel at that time. They were specifically appointed and anointed by God for that work. Or it could be uh, the two witnesses from Revelation 11, it says that those are the anointed ones, uh, that those come at, in the end times. Some people believe that. Or it could even be Moses and Elijah who represented the law and the prophets. And, uh, and that's the work of the Lord that's, that's going into the world. You know, so we don't know. God didn't tell us the names. And, and so anything beyond that is, is going to be a guess or speculation, but more importantly than who they are, what's happening with them? They're branches of the olive tree, and oil flows out of them. The only way they're able to provide light in the dark world is being opened up and allowing the oil to flow out of them. And again, Jesus said it so plainly, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. Because without me, you can do nothing. And guys, in each of our lives, God has said it, that, that our body is a temple. Our lives are works that God is in. God is concerned about each and every one of us. The, the Lord of heaven and earth who spoke the world into existence sees each and every one of us, knows our hearts, knows our thoughts, is deeply concerned and has a plan. He loves us. Just as Zerubbabel was discouraged and, and ready to quit, maybe some of you guys are too. Maybe you're just frustrated with the lack of progress that's going on in your Christian walk. Maybe you don't even have the beginning of a Christian walk. Maybe everything just seems too hard. And the reason that everything seems too hard is because it is. This is too much for us to do. You know, when, when I hear, hear people quote when they say, God never gives you more than you can handle. He gives us more than we can handle every single day. 
In fact, just calling us to live for him, that's more than we can handle. But it's not more than we can handle through his strength. If we're trying to do it on our own, we're going to fail every time. And the key to realize, the key is to realize, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've called us to, but also thank you that you've not left us on our own to do this. God, you have given us a supply of your Holy Spirit, God, which is more than we will ever need for anything that we have to accomplish in this life. Lord, I just pray that uh, you would draw our hearts and our minds to you. Lord, that uh, as we go from here, that you would minister your word to our hearts, that we would understand better and better who you are and who we are in the light of your love. God, we thank you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.